Hello, and welcome to Freshly Squeezed True Crime. I'm Renee. And I'm Suhaley. We are true crime comedy podcast focusing on crimes that happened in Florida. Not everyone agrees that the topics of true crime and comedy should go together. And our sense of humor is definitely not for everyone. While we tell stories of true crime, it is never our intention to make fun of victims or the horrendous things that have happened. Instead, we laugh at the rest, the criminals, the investigations that go sideways, and really anything else that we say to each other that makes us stop and laugh. Our humor is our defense mechanism. And we use that humor to get us through the dark shit that happens in this world. So, if we haven't scared you away yet, join us as we continue to try. Hi, Renee. Hi, Sue Haley. You ready to squeeze that juice? I am, and I think you're going to get pissed off today. Oh, well, why the hell would we do that? <laughs> it this Because this case pissed me off. Oh, well, let's get pissed off together. I'm ready. You ready? Yes. All right, cool. <laughs> According to the Florida Department of Corrections website, when it comes to women in Florida and death row, we've had 17 women who have received a conviction for the death penalty. Most of those sentences were eventually overturned. In fact, only two women are listed as having been executed in the state of Florida, Judy Buenoano and Eileen Warnos. There are currently three women on death row. But the numbers I just gave you only date back to 1926. I stumbled across this case by accident. I was doing research because you know I'm doing work on the episode for Judy Buenoano. And most sources say that she's the first woman executed in Florida. But while doing my deep dive, I came across the story of Celia. You know what? I've heard of Miss Celia. Have you really heard of this case? After you mentioned those specific facts, yes. Now I remember Shit. the case. I no, I'll go ahead because I know you love deep dives. I do love deep dives. I know, but for when you started saying, you know, being sentenced and when you started saying all that, it reminded mm-hmm. me that I was trying to pull up all women who were just like Ali Warnos put on death row. Because her name came up as I was doing my episode for Christine Falling. Yeah. Yeah. Her name comes up sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But not in every source. Nope. Because a lot of sources say it was Judy. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where you go back and forth. But yes, Miss Celia's name now rings a bell. Mm-hmm. And then they say Judy was second. But then there's one source said there was another one and they had no name. They're, okay, so... The Jacksonville Courthouse burned down on May 3rd, 1901, where most of the records for this case would have been. So if any other women had been executed in Jacksonville, like maybe the files were lost. Like we really don't know that much about Florida history before like the Mm -hmm. recordings that we have now of stuff. Hey, Renee, do you know what county Jacksonville is in? See, I started saying it a few times today and then I took it out of the paper because I didn't want to do it. Then I'll do it. Duval! Okay. Continue, please. Thank you. (laughs) So aside from the Jacksonville courthouse burning down where a lot of the information about this case was stored, um, our story takes place in the 1800s. So obviously there's not a lot of information about this case. So because there's not a lot of information, it's going to be a short episode. Okay. Let's quickly discuss some Florida history. Florida was transferred from Spain to Great Britain in 1763. In 1784, Britain returned it back to Spain. And in 1821, Spain then gave Florida to the United States. 
So even back then, everyone knew Florida was fucked up and nobody wanted it. Don't want it. Nobody wanted it. Take it back. <laughs> Fucking passing Florida around. You know, maybe that's why we're so fucked up. We know nobody wants us. <laughs> we're like that child nobody wants and has, has a complex. Children's of the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, 21 million people are happy to be here. Are we all happy to be here? Okay. I know we're happy to be here. <laughs> I was, I'm happy to be here. I know. We love Florida. It's we're, better than shoveling safe. snow back home. Oh my God. No, I can't do cold. We should tell the listeners now so that if it comes up in future episodes, how I feel about the cold. How much do you love that cold? <laughs> I hate the cold. If it drops below 73 degrees, I've got a sweatshirt. Well, I was going to say one of us has a plug-in thermal sweatshirt and one of us is wearing a tank top. <laughs> <laughs> Florida was considered a U.S. territory until it was granted its statehood on March 3rd, 1845. Only three years later, we have the first recorded account of a woman being executed in Florida. Oh, that was a express line, huh? I know, we went right for it. We went straight to the top. We did. In January 1830, Jacob Bryan, whose profession was described simply as a white planter, moved his 42-year-old common-law wife, Susan who was also his slave, Mm. and their children from Georgia to Florida. They settled less than 10 miles from Jacksonville near an area called Goodbye Lake. Oh. Oh, Goodbye Lake. I know. I'm like, (laughs) that's a a great lake name for a murder podcast. Exactly. (laughs) This is the lake where people go to say goodbye. (laughs) Exactly. Kind of like the dead zone. With them were their four daughters, Celia, age 12, Anne, age 5, Zany, age two, and baby Sarah. Three years later, they had son Dennis, and two years after that, they had Jerry. So mm. they had six kids. Awesome. We're not entirely sure what their home life was like, but we do know that by December 1847, Celia had four children of her own. Mary Jane, 12, William, 9, Demias, 7, and Francis, 4. Celia's younger sister, Anne, had an eight-year-old son named John. Most sources say that it's widely believed that Jacob Bryan was the father of his daughter's children. There's also a record of an old document where he does claim that they are all of his children. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. At the farm, they grew cotton and corn and raised cattle. On November 25th, 1842, Jacob executed a legal deed of manumission to free all the members of his family, except Francis, who hadn't been born yet. I had to look up the word manumission. Have you heard of it before? No, no, neither have I. It's just a fancy word from release for, from slavery. It means the exact same thing as emancipation. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Manumission had been possible in Florida under Spanish law in two types of cases. Number one, for male slaves who had fought for the Spanish Empire. And number two, for the common law slave wives and slave children of white planters. Florida enacted some laws of their own restricting the rights of free blacks. There was a high poll tax requiring them to pay $8 per year once they reached the age of 15. Whites, on the other hand, at age of 21, were only required to pay a dollar a year. Wow. Not to make light of it, but can you imagine paying less than 10 bucks a year in Texas? <laughs> I mean, seriously? <laughs> well, I'm done with that. <laughs> I'm not even going to do my taxes. I'm just going to send you the maximum 10. Exactly. (laughs) 
But you owe more. No, I don't. Here's my ten. <laughs> Here's my, my ten dollars. <laughs> Free blacks couldn't vote, serve on juries, or testify against whites in court. They couldn't carry firearms, assemble in large groups, or sell liquor. Children of interracial couples couldn't inherit their parents' property. Florida kept the Spanish manumission law, but added a restriction that required a $200 fee per slave and also required that free slaves must permanently leave the state of Florida within 30 days. Jacob was not able to afford this fee, and the family didn't leave Florida, but it's unclear if anybody in the family knew of this law or if they just all thought they were free now. Also, this law was enacted just a few months after they all moved to Florida. So if they had come over sooner, they would have just been granted through the old Spanish law without all the Florida bullshit added on to it. Thanks, Florida. Mm -hmm. And in case it wasn't clear while I was reading all that, free blacks is the term that all the papers and everything said. It's, those are not my words. On the morning of December 7th, 1847, 30-year-old Celia killed her father, Jacob. An article in an old Jacksonville newspaper called The News wrote, quote, It appears that he attempted to punish her, and being at the time engaged in making a hoe handle with a drawing knife, she at first resisted with the hoe handle and then used the drawing knife, with which she cut open his skull so as to produce instant death. She is now in jail at this place awaiting her trial at the next term of the circuit court. Hmm. So just to picture the weapon, a draw mm -hmm. knife is a woodworking tool. It's about the size and weight of a rolling pin. It has a blade in the middle and like two handles at either end. So it's easy to use. So, you know, like she's that. like doing that. and then she... mm -hmm. I like that. I do like that as a murder weapon. Mm -hmm. Some sources indicate that Celia had been aided in her attack by two other male slaves, but it seems most likely that's not true and that she acted alone. Celia was arrested the next day and her trial took place in May 1848. And I'm thinking, damn, she was in jail from December to May, but that's fucking common nowadays, too. Yes, Nothing's it is. changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing. These were consistent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Florida's <laughs> consistent, y'all. That's what we got going for <laughs> that's us. That's what we do. During the trial, the jury of six white men listened to the stories of brutal attacks Celia endured while living with Jacob. It's said that the men on the jury were very revolted by the stories they heard. They recognized that Celia most likely acted in self-defense. They did find her guilty of manslaughter, but they asked the judge for leniency in her, here, in her sentence. On Friday, May 26th, trial judge Thomas Douglas sentenced Celia to death and told her to make peace with God. Oh. She was sentenced to be hung on Friday, August 11th. Judge Thomas Douglas was the first judge to preside over the circuit court for the Eastern Circuit of Florida. It's said that during his five-year term, he was always late for court, missed many terms, and was involved in some controversy over the fact that he never sentenced anyone to jail when he was in Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, so he presided over, like, the whole exactly. Eastern, and he wouldn't send anybody in Orange County to jail. So now we know where to commit crimes. <laughs> yep. In Orange County. <laughs> I mean, if you want to go back to, like, the 1840s. I don't think my people fared too well in the 1840s. <laughs> they did if they lived in Orange County. <laughs> so he became the first judge to sentence a woman to death in the state of Florida because of this. There was a petition filed to re-examine the case. The petition had about half a dozen signatures. 
A counter-petition was created that had 70 to 80 people signing it. Less than two weeks before the scheduled execution, Florida Governor William D. Mosley postponed the execution so that he could look at the case, setting a new execution date of September 22, 1848. There were influential people on both sides of the debate, and it was said that the governor was the kind of man who didn't want to offend either side. (laughs) So the judge is not judging. Okay. Nope, he doesn't want to offend anybody. (laughs) Pardon. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) You right, you right. (laughs) There were quotes from him, and I didn't write them down because they bored me, but there were quotes from him, like, saying one thing, and then he'd come back and he'd go, but on the other hand, and, like, that's how all of his interviews were, da-da-da-da, but on the other hand, da-da, like, he couldn't. But could it be that you said he always came late to court, right? No, no, no. Sorry. That was the judge. So now the governor came in and he postponed the execution. So in that same Jacksonville newspaper, he said, quote, in granting respite, I not only do the state no wrong, but at the same time, give an unfortunate fellow being an opportunity to excuse the act if it may be excused. And if it may not be to make peace with her God. Again with that line. I know. (laughs) All right. I didn't know I had two quotes back to back, but the Jacksonville newspaper again reported after this, quote, we forbear comment upon these proceedings in this horrible case, but from the excited state of feeling in the country and the spirit of exultation, which has already manifested itself among the colored people of this place and the neighboring plantations, we infer the most dangerous consequences from a false or mistaken clemency. So basically they're like, we're not going to make a comment either way, but there's fear of all the dangerous things that are going to happen if they let a slave get away with murder. Wait, they. Okay. So basically the newspaper's like pressuring, you know, them to, mm-hmm. to put her, you know, hanger. It also is worth mentioning that the governor was a slave owner himself. At the time of his retirement, he owned 116 slaves, which was the most out of anybody in the county. Oh, look at him go. Yeah. So he didn't want a slave uprising either. Thanks, guy. While the trial and sentencing for Celia were going on, there was also a legal battle being fought over the rights of the rest of the family. The day after the murder, when Celia was arrested, probate judge William F. Crabtree asked the sheriff of Duval County to take all of Jacob Bryan's property into custody. Due to a Florida law that considered slaves as property, this did include the 11 remaining family members. They were in custody for an unknown period of time. One source said it was like 17 months. Another Mm -hmm. source said it was just seven. Then they lived with somebody else the last year. We don't know how long they were in custody, but they were treated as slaves. A written inventory sheet assigned the value to everything Jacob owned. He didn't own the land or the house he lived in, so the part that was referred to as his non-human property. Oh. <clears throat> so the cotton and the cows. Mm-hmm. And it was all valued at $197, which, when I found an online calculator, is about $7,000 today. I can't. But because of a Florida law saying that slaves are your property, they had to be evaluated too. And I saw, like, the written sheet where it literally had the name and the price. So some of the people were valued at, like, $500. And then 
down to like a hundred dollars each. You're right. This episode is making me feel some sort it's, of way. Yeah, I told you it would. And uh, yeah. Okay. The 12 family members, including Celia, were valued at $3,800, which today would be about $135,000. So now Jacob's relatives from out of state start flocking in, trying to get everything they could. On February 15th, 1848, Jacob's relatives filed an affidavit with the county claiming the 11 family members are now their personal property. And most prominent in this suit was Josiah Everett, who was the son-in-law of Jacob's sister and Jacob's nephew, James Archer. Okay. So it's like mm-hmm. he hasn't seen these people in almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. And it's the the son-in-law of his niece, <laughs> like, or his sister. It, it's like a random fucking family member that's like, let's go fucking down to Florida and get some money. <laughs> Uncle, what's his face that we haven't seen died? <laughs> we got to go. We gotta go. We gotta go. Look, after everything I read about this family, I now know why Jacob left Georgia. Not <laughs> saying he was a good guy, but he was, yeah. He was trying to get away from these assholes. They must have been bad. <laughs> we gotta go. He had to leave. <laughs> he gotta go. So remember also that Jacob couldn't afford that $200 per person for the members of his family, mm-hmm. you know, to emancipate them. So the family was arguing based on the point that his human property was not free and should revert to his next of kin, which was apparently the son-in-law of his sister. (laughs) Jesus. I can't get over it. I I can't fucking get over the random fucking (laughs) not even related to a family member running fucking down to Florida. I'm sorry for all the F words, but no, I hate this disgusting person. Maybe that was his excuse to come to Florida. You know where I want to go? Florida. Florida. Now's a good time. A 17-month investigation began, and Judge Crabtree ruled that even though Jacob hadn't fully complied with the law, his intention was to free his family. So Susan and all of the children were granted their freedom. Six days later, the relatives appealed the ruling. The appellate judge in this case was Circuit Judge Thomas Douglas, who was the same judge that yeah. sentenced Celia to death. On November 26, 1851, he ruled that Susan and the children that had been in Florida would be free, but the other children that had been born in Georgia should belong to the relatives. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So so now we're at, like, half and a half? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and I should mention, like, it's it's not just the children. Like, so there's 11 of them. It's the mother, the... Five children yep. that they had. I'm not including Celia because she's in prison. Yeah. Celia's four kids and then her sister's kid. Oh, my God. So this is 11 people we're talking about. All right. So after the judge decided that the Floridians would be free, the relatives appealed again, taking the case to the Florida Supreme Court. And the Florida Supreme Court overturned that decision and said, nope, the Heirs are the rightful owners to everything. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, it's unknown exactly what happened at that point. Mm-hmm. We do know that their daughter, Sarah, was sold into slavery at one point during the trial proceedings. Uh, Dennis ended up escaping at one point. So the relatives sued mm-hmm. and they were able to get $900 in order to replace their Jeez. missing Dennis. Okay. 
Um, there was some time in between the ruling that said that they were free and the decision that they weren't free, like that I'm hoping maybe some of them got out of there. But the most likely story is that the majority of the family was either sold off by the relatives or taken back to Georgia with them. On the morning of September 22nd, 1848, Celia marched up the 13 steps of the gallows. Her hands were tied behind her back, a noose was fitted around her neck, and a hood was placed over her face. She spent her last words in a vicious assault on her mother, Susan. Her body hung there for an hour as the crowd of 200 slowly drifted away. Okay. Okay. And that's the case of Celia Bryant. And, and yeah, I need this episode to end. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I should mention, because I forgot to add it to the story. Some sources will call her Celia Bryant. Mm-hmm. Some sources say that she didn't have a last name. Okay. And when the newspapers back then talked about her, they just wrote Celia because slaves didn't have last names. They were either given their master's last names mm-hmm. or not given a last name at all. Okay. And there's there's no like written accounts that actually say whether or not he had given her his last name or if she just didn't have one. But considering that, you know, he considered them all family and he filed all that paperwork, mm-hmm. I, I want to assume that her last name was Bryant. And I'm going to name the episode, you know, Celia yeah. Bryant, just so that... You know, we we have a last name for her. Absolutely. I did find one blog that had a picture, mm-hmm. but it, there was no research. There's no documentation anywhere on that blog. Everything on that blog seemed to be just like them grabbing information and not citing it. So yeah. I don't believe it's an actual picture of her. Okay. Um, other than that, there's there's no pictures or anything we could find. Wow. So I don't know what we want to do for an image, but yeah, that's that's, that's the case. All right, darling. Until next time. Yep. Thank you for joining us and drinking the juice. Still thirsty? Need more freshly squeezed? Here's how you can help. Visit our website to see show notes, resource links, and more. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star rating and review. Follow us on social media. We're FSTCPod on Instagram and TikTok. And we're FS True Crime on Twitter. We'll see you next time. And may the juice be with you.